The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Uh, nice to be back here on a Tuesday morning. So this is one of my favorite uh, mornings. <laughs> IMC. Yeah, there are a few a few things that have been on my mind. Uh, yesterday we had a, a day long sitting here for this uh, deepening meditation program, and one of the topics was um, the place of the imagination and imagery in meditation. So, kind of interesting topic, and. Um, especially because in in our insight meditation practice, mindfulness meditation, uh, sometimes we think about it or talk about it um, as in it's a kind of bare awareness practice, like just to be present, you know, for what's happening. And and the kind of beauty of that and the, the, the purity of that in a way that we're not trying to... Uh, get something, get away from something, but just to be here, to be present, to be open to, 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 to what we're experiencing. And so, um, you know, and, and this is, that is an important understanding of the practice. Um, and it's interesting to reflect on um, the, the fact that we are almost always using our imagination in some way. We almost always have some image in mind or some picture of what we're doing, what we're trying to do. Um, even the Buddha, um, you know, taught quite a lot in images, you know, and talked about um, concentration, for example, as kind of wrapping oneself in a clean, soft, white blanket. You know, so kind of being wrapped and cocooned, um, or these different images of uh, uh, what's called the hindrances, which are you know these forces in the mind that that kind of uh, distract us, but you know of kind of like being uh, locked in a prison is one, or owing money is one, and you know kind of being freed in a way from these hindrances being desire and aversion and restlessness and sleepiness and doubt. Um, the Buddha talked about states of absorption, like, you know, um, being images of water being perfectly clear and smooth and calm and, or something being fed from underneath, you know, so this spring as a way of talking about the kind of goodness that can come from the practice when something wells up from, from within us. So, um, and then we can have ideas about, you know, what one idea, for example, in practice is an idea that um, I'm, I'm a person who is not enlightened now, and one day in the future, if I do a lot of practice, you know, you know, I'm here, and I'm going to kind of 
do a lot of work and a lot of practice and like scrub the, scrub the mind in a way and clean it up. And then I'm going to get here you know, and become a person who's enlightened. You know, and that's, and that's you know, kind of one picture of practice or one image. So it's, it's more like an invitation to, to, to look at the ways that we conceive of meditation practice and spiritual practice in our own minds, because we already do. We're always using our imagination to kind of have some idea of ourself and, and, uh, and what, what practice is about. Um, so that, so that was, that's one, one idea. And then the other thing that was on my mind was this retreat that I just came back from teaching at our retreat center at IRC. And the topic of the retreat was the meeting of Zen and insight. So it, it, it taught, co-taught it with um, a friend of mine, Brian Lesage, who, who is a, also an insight teacher, but he was a Zen monk for six years um, in the Rinzai Zen tradition. And so we both, and I also have a Zen background, and so we're both very interested in the kind of similarities and differences of Zen practice and insight practice. And what we called that retreat was just sitting, clear seeing. And this idea that um, one of the primary ways of, of practicing Zen and orientation to Zen practice is this idea of just sitting. Like this kind of, um, kind of, meditation where we're not, um, you know, it's not a progressive model of practice where like, you know, we're going to sit down and train the mind in a way to, 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 to follow the breath or to get some state of concentration or get some kind of insight. The idea is that to just sit and totally just do that one thing and and when you sit, um, you're doing it just for itself. It's not, it's not a technique to get something else, but it's just a kind of, you know, almost a kind of pure activity that you kind of just do for its own sake. If you think about, um, in a way, so it's a little bit unusual to do something without any idea in our mind that it's for anything else. You know, often we you know, we go to the store. The reason we go to the store is to buy the, buy the food, buy the groceries, whatever. And we hear a lot about meditation and the benefits of meditation. You know, meditation will make us more calm and more compassionate and it will in some way make our life work better. I mean, those things may be true. But in this form of just sitting, this form of Zen practice, the invitation is to totally do an activity for its own sake. And one of the, one of the ways I think about that or analogy for that is if we play music or something. You know, and there's a way that when we play music, if, if, it's, if it's a hobby or if it's something we enjoy, that it's a kind of self-expression. That the, the payoff for the activity is happening within the activity. It's not for somebody, you know, we're singing in the shower, 
kind of silly example maybe, but you know, no one's, we're not doing it to impress someone. No one's hearing us. No one's, you know, we don't think we're going to get some great benefit out of it. We just do it to do it. So Zen has this idea of sitting practice is like that. The, the total fulfillment of our practice is happening in each moment. This moment is not a kind of a stepping stone to a better moment. You know, so it's all right here. And we're as much of ourselves as we ever will be. You know, it's not like if I sit here and do a lot of meditation, then I'm going to really be myself, you know, in five years. Or something. It's like, no, this is our, our, our total life is expressed in this moment and in each moment. So this is kind of this Zen sense. So we call, that's just sitting. And then this clear seeing is um, one of the emphases of insight practice, like to really clearly see what's happening. And so mindfulness practice, awareness practice, helps us to connect and get in touch, connect with the sensations of the body, connect with what's happening in our mind, all the, all the kind of mental activity. And to really be able to see that clearly can be very liberating. If I'm not aware of agitation in myself, if I'm not aware of agitation in the mind or some strong emotion, then I'm much more likely to act out of that emotion in ways that are not, that I'm not aware of, not conscious of. But if I know, oh, wow, there's fear here, or there's anxiety, or there's anger, then it's like, oh, okay. Um, I'll have a little bit of a different relationship to when I, when I feel someone has, has kind of you know, triggered me in a way, done something. You know, so if I know that, okay, I'm actually pretty irritated this morning, and then something happens, um, hopefully, I'm more likely, I won't always catch it, but I'm more likely to kind of be a little bit skeptical of that immediate, you know, ah. <laughs> and say, okay, you know, wait a second, I, I, so, something's going on with me as well, and um, it might not be 100% this other person's fault. So that's the clear seeing. And one of the ways we, we talked about bringing those together on this retreat was that if Zen practice says, be totally in the moment, and this moment is who and what we are, then inside practice is helping us to do that maybe in a much more thorough way, to really be present and be connected to all the different dimensions of this moment, that there's something you know, there's something embodied that's happening. There's something that's happening in, in the heart, in the emotions, in the mind. Um, so to do that really thoroughly is one of the gifts, I think, of insight practice. Like I can say, oh, yeah, I'm here for the moment. We're here. It's Tuesday. And that's one way of being in the moment. But we may miss a lot with that. But to say, yeah, to be, to be so uh, mindful that we're attending to the moment-to-moment experience of this body. We're attending to, you know, the beginning of a thought, the beginning of, a, of the breath, 
um, we're, we're able to perceive an emotion that may be a little bit shy or maybe a little subtle, that it's not just kind of beating us over the head with, hey, you're, you're angry, but there's something, there's something quiet that's there that only when we're still and patient and, and open does that emotion show itself. So that's another way of being present and to, and to, and to allow that and to fully be that. So um, that's a little bit of a long introduction to what I wanted to share, which is a couple of, you know, with this understanding that we're always using images on this path. And we're, you know, we have some image in mind, which may be skillful or unskillful, may be helpful or not helpful, depending on the context. Um, that in, in Zen practice, some images or some frames of reference are offered. And I, I thought to just share them to see if, if or how it might change a little bit how we see ourselves or how we approach practice. And the idea is they're, they're just images. They're just, they're just pointers to something. And, you know, we always have this practice to return to of awareness. And that's our, that's our practice. That's our fundamental practice, whether we're doing Zen or insight. Um, that all the schools of Buddhism have in common is to be present for what's happening and let it come and let it go. Don't hold on to it. So that's, that's, that's the secret of all the schools of Buddhism. And then how do we do that and what supports that? So um, this is a passage from a, a Zen text which is called Genjo Koan. And um, it's, it's, one of, it's considered one of the most important texts in the Japanese Zen tradition. And uh, Genjo Koan is, is sometimes translated as the koan of this moment, or the question of this moment. You know, a koan in the Zen tradition, in the Chinese Chan tradition, is a kind of paradox or riddle that we are called upon to in some way resolve. And it's not that we resolve it or that we solve it through our thinking mind. You know, so a kind of famous Zen koan is, what is the sound of one hand clapping, right? And um, so the, the teacher will give that question to the student and meditate on and then you go in and see the, the, the teacher, the master, and present your answer. But it's not so much like you, if you, if you explain something, they just, you know, they ring the bell, out, get out. <laughs> and so the idea is that you have a, you meditate with this and have a certain kind of experience, certain, certain understanding through, through our body, through our meditation. And then we present ourselves to the teacher. And the teacher can, as, as, this, as this idea goes, the teacher can perceive that we've understood something through our practice, through our body. So that what, you know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Um, can you 
Maybe that's asking, can you sh- express oneness? What, is, what does oneness look like? What does the oneness of all things look like or sound like? How would you express that? Yeah, so that's the you know, kind of question. Um, and so there are these, these famous kind of, uh, another famous one is, What is it if a tree falls? And somebody hears it. Does it make a sound? You know, these kind of things. So, um, Genjo Koan is the koan of right now, the koan of this moment. Um, Gill has translated that as uh, the issue at hand. And you, you know, the, the book here, that's a collection of Gill's talks. And it's interesting that he chose to, to call that collection Genjo Koan, the issue at hand. So it, Genjo Koan means um, each moment of our life is a question. Each moment of our life is a kind of riddle or paradox to, to, to resolve and so this is, so this is, so there's a, it's a kind of a longer text talks about Genjo Koan. And this is one passage. Firewood becomes ash and it does not become firewood again. You know, so this is, this, okay, firewood becomes ash. When firewood is burned, it becomes ash and it doesn't become firewood again. Um, and this is pretty much the you know, foundational teaching of, of Buddhism, of impermanence, that everything changes. Everything is going in one direction, you know, of this change. Things change into something else. Always, things are always kind of coming out of balance, coming back into balance, changing. So firewood becomes ash, and it does not become firewood again. Yet... Do not suppose that the ash is future and firewood past. Do not suppose that the ash is future and firewood past. You should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression of firewood, which fully includes past and future and is independent of past and future. Ash abides in the phenomenal expression of ash, which fully includes future and past. Just as firewood does not become firewood again after it is ash, you do not return to birth after death. Birth is an expression complete in this moment. Death is an expression complete in this moment. They are like winter and spring, you do not call winter the beginning of spring, nor summer the end of spring. So what is that? <laughs> firewood. You should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression of firewood. So what I think this is trying to point at is the other side of impermanence or the other side of change. You know, yes, things are changing, always changing into something else. And 
in this moment, which is the only real reality there is, firewood is always firewood, all the time. It will never be something other than firewood. Firewood is just firewood. Ash is just ash. Firewood is completely firewood. It's not that there's something called firewood that changes into something else. In this moment, firewood is just what it is. It is always just what it is. Um, so birth is an expression, complete this moment. Death is an expression, complete this moment. Um, maybe when we get quiet and still, we can in some way be in this moment in the sense that we can perceive uh, like, uh, the fullness of just this. So firewood is just this. Ash is just this. Um, so Dogen says, you do not call winter the beginning of spring, summer the end of it. So he's saying, there's a side of things that It's kind of like the impossibility of becoming. Winter, our usual way of thinking is winter turns into spring and spring turns into summer. And um, health turns into sickness. You know, birth turns into death. Youth turns into non-youth. <laughs> Old age. <laughs> Old age, right? Um, but, but if we only see things from the side that something is becoming something else, what, what maybe this is suggesting is we're missing, we're missing the fullness of, of, of each moment. That it's not that um, youth, you know, one side of things is youth turns into old age and health turns into sickness. But... There's another side of things that are in the way that our life, our total being is fully expressed both as youth when, when, when we're young and as old age when we're old. It's not like one is a lesser version of something else, that our life is fully expressed as health. And then when we're sick, if we're sick, when we're sick, our life is fully expressed as sickness. And to be able to live in that way and practice in that way where we're not caught in comparing and feeling like something is lost because this is the way my life is now and it used to be a different way, right? That's the kind of comparing mind. Um, so this, I see this in a way as a, you know, it's an image, it's an imagery or kind of way of seeing, but it's an invitation to fully occupy whatever stage it is that we're at. We're always going to be at some stage of life. We're always going to be at some stage of practice. And if we're, if we're caught in thinking like this stage is diff better, worse, different than a previous stage, or that we really need to get to that stage, that's where it really is, that's what, and then I'll be happy. I think what, what this is saying is we've missed something important about the nature of our life, that our life is actually fully expressed wherever we are. However it is, this is the way it is. Um, 
You know, I think it's easy, maybe easier to see that with young children. You know, babies or young children are so fully what they are. We don't expect them to be, you know, it's not like we look at a, a young child and say, this is a deficient version of an adult, right? You know, it's a, a young child. That's, they're, they're, they have the mentality of a young child, the expression of a young child, um, the concerns of a young child. And that's completely what they are at the moment. Um, and so is there a way that we can um, meet wherever we are in life and whatever life becomes for us, how, how things change, because things are always changing. But then once they've changed, they're fully what they are. You know. um, does that... Does that Kind of get a sense of that of um, and and it, is there something about this kind of imagery or this kind of understanding that's liberating that's like I don't need to wait for something to happen it's like um, all of who I am and all of the the kind of the perfection the completeness of life is here is here in 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 this stage in this moment and so the genjo koan the request of this moment is to fully is to fully express that fully occupy that as much as we can you know i think we're it's impossible in a way to not have a comparing mind in some way but so to be able to hold both of these to hold that things are changing all the time. But also that this, you know, so for Dogen, he would say this present moment is the only true reality. All of the past and all of the future is understood, is, is, is in, in some way um, present here, is present now. And um, so when I think about this, there's a kind of poignancy to this moment. Like, I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss something. You know, maybe one way of, um, that it's, that it, that it becomes very apparent to me is that given that I have young children and how quickly they change, you know, how they're growing so fast and saying, I'll be away for a week. Then I come back and it's like, wow, something's different about that. You know, this kind of some shift or some uh, some little glimmer of a sophistication they didn't have, or a little, you know, or, you know, and and so that things are things happen one, only once. You know, in, in Japanese, there's this there's this expression ichigo ichie, which means uh, one time one meeting. Ichi is one. So go is time. And a is like a meeting or encounter. So Suzuki Roshi translated this as once in a lifetime, this one encounter. Once in a lifetime, this one encounter. That this, this meeting, this encounter, this moment will never come again. You know, we, we can feel, often we feel that, oh, we're just repeating the same thing over and over. But actually, uh, 
if, we, if we're really present and connected and aware, maybe we can perceive that this, you know, this, this quality of the once in a lifetime that each, each, uh, each experience is unique. Is, is. And then when I have that feeling, it's like, oh yeah, I don't want to miss it. I want to I be here. I, and friends who have older children, and they say, just enjoy, just enjoy this time. You know, where there, there's a kind of, you know, maybe it's like under seven years old or nine or 10 or something, you know, that there's a, there's a kind of innocence for kids. They want to, they want to, well, they want to be with me. <laughs> that will change at some point. Um, and so what is it in our life that, you know, that what can we open to that helps us to perceive that birth is an expression complete in this moment. Uh, each moment has its own completeness. And it's, it's not a, um, it's not a, a tool or an instrument to get something else. You know, for me, there's a, there's a relaxation in that. And, oh yeah, I can settle in here. And, and maybe that's okay. And to, to fully be where we're at. And so I think one flavor of practice, especially if we, as, we, as, we, as we get some familiarity with this, is that... Mm, is that each moment is an expression of the Dharma. Each, each, each moment is enough. This moment is enough. We're not, we're not grasping. We're not, you know, we've seen through that idea that there's something better out there. <laughs> Someone else has. Just got to get it. <laughs> and there's a limited amount of it to go around. <laughs> you know? Um. So, so yeah, what are, what are the images that um, you have or you use that you find supportive for practice? Um, and then what are the images or what are the ways of holding practice that are not that helpful? You know, that sort of in some way solidify a sense of self or solidify uh, this idea that there's something to get and I don't know what it is, but I just know that I don't have it. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we, we have some time and I'm curious to hear what you think of this or um, how, do, how do you, yeah. What are the images and ways of using the imagination that inspire you? Um, what, are the, what are the images that, that maybe we don't need anymore that are kind of old views or old ways of seeing ourselves or seeing practice? Yeah, you know, any, whatever, whatever is, comes up for you, please.
there's, there's a whole host of things that come come to mind with with your talk, and uh, one one that that uh, really uh, um, I, I I really liked is is the the fullness of the moment, yeah. and in the sense that if if it's not full, then you're trying to grasp into the future or or get something that you missed from the past no? and and one question that that comes to mind when you read the the, the koan is is um, you you talk about completeness that the firewood is complete as firewood and ash is complete as ash completeness for, for me is is like something nothing is missing mm. and uh could could you explain a little bit more of the of the concept because completeness it, it, what i what i find is when when i'm grasping is that i i'm i feel that i'm not complete yeah so yeah. so uh, and and it's it's always going into the planning into the future to as as you said with with meditation to get somewhere in my daily life i'm planning for the future to get somewhere and and the feeling sometimes is that i am not complete where i am which causes uncomfortableness. Yeah. So, so the concept of completeness. Yeah. Can, can you talk yeah. a little bit more about it? Yeah, I, sure. I, I'm intrigued. Very yeah. intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, beautiful sharing, and I and I I can relate to that. And I think that's exactly what this is pointing to: is that when when we feel like something is missing or something is deficient it's the most natural thing in the world to be grasping and to feel like we have to kind of change something, get something, something's missing. And f- for me, this idea of completeness is like, it's, it's to perceive that this moment is in some way um, beyond the realm of comparison. It's like for something to be completely itself. You know, I mean, if you look at a baby or something, you know, or a puppy or something, it's easy to see. This puppy or this baby is completely itself. It's, you don't think, oh, this could be a little bit better baby if it just, you know, you know, you, you know you just, you're so there with, with, with this being. And sometimes, in Zen, the, the word perfection is used. But it's a kind of perfection that's, it's not perfection according to some idea we have, but it's like when something is so perfectly itself, um, so completely itself, in that it doesn't make sense to evaluate it, compare it to something else, um, measure it in some way. It's like beyond measure. It's, it's just fully what it is. And, you know, especially in Zen, they talk about this is the way, this is the awakened perspective. When we're in moments of awakening or the way a Buddha sees, it's like that see, everything is completely what it is. It's not a sort of lesser version of something else. It's, it's, it's there in its perfection. Like when the Buddha... You know, in the story of the Buddha's enlightenment, he looked up and, and saw the, 
morning star. You know, it was perfect just as it was. You know, it was like, oh, that star, you know, it was okay, but uh, it was better, you know, it was better last week. Or so, you know, no, yeah, it was like, it's like, oh, wow. And not just the star is perfectly what it is, but we're all perfectly what we are. You know, we, we can get more concentrated, we can build up our muscles, we can build up our mental muscles, but can we really become more of who we are than we are right now? You know, we're, each moment we're, we're manifesting ourself. Um, so this, the author of this, Dogen, who was the founder of, of the Soto School of uh, Zen Buddhism, he famously uh, went to China and, and did his training in China and then returned to Japan and brought this kind of understanding back to Japan. And when he was asked, what did you learn in China? You know, what was the kind of, what, 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 is, what, what was your insight? And he said, oh, I learned that the eyes are horizontal and the nose is vertical. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> that's, that's a big insight? You know, and... And so one way of understanding that is it's like an expression of this completeness as we are. You know, we can, we can get more concentrated. We can get more insight. We can study more. We can improve ourselves in all these different ways. But can we make our eyes more <laughs> horizontal than they already are? Can we make our nose more vertical? You know, this is so it's an expression of the completeness of ourselves as we are and the completion of each moment as it is. That it's not... Um, yeah, so to, so, to, so to open to that dimension and, and to see what that does, what's liberating about that, that I don't need to... Um, you know, we need to plan in some ways for our life. We need to do that. That's... Know, but to be able to see this other side as well is so that's like they both they both need to be there. So that's yeah, okay. Thank you. Oh, okay. Um, so I, this is reminding me of another concept, and you can comment on this. Is that? Um, this idea like when you are fully in the moment, sometimes the most ordinary thing will bring you such joy because there's no gap between the moment and yourself. And so like, you know, I, I think of this as like, I'll just be out to dinner with friends who I've gone out to dinner with a million times before. And just all of a sudden I'm like, wow, like we're just sitting at this table having dinner. And I don't know if it's, uh, you're so present in that moment that it somehow it, it going along with it brings you joy somehow for the most ordinary thing and I think when you when maybe when I'm not feeling that there's a gap between the moment and where my mind is and so I'm actually evaluating or judging or other things are going on and that's the gap and then is that is that part is that does that seem similar to what you're saying? Yeah, it, it really does. For me, that's the flavor of it. That's a beautiful. That like the things that are ordinary, the ordinary moments, 
we can begin to perceive their beauty, their specialness, their perfection in a way, their completeness. That, you know, it, it's pretty different to be at a dinner party with some old friends that we haven't seen in a long time and to be just so there in the moment, so, so connected that it's like, wow, this is, you know, you know we, we're, we're, we're directly understanding that this will never happen again. This is just, this is just for now. This, this is, you know, just this. To be in that mind of just this can bring a lot of joy. And even, you know, knowing, well, anything could happen, you know, and even if we come back together next week, it's going to be different. Um, versus being at a dinner party and being so caught up in our own story, our own, we see these people and we say, oh yeah, but then they did that thing five years ago and uh, or I'm, I'm so worried about, I'm so caught up in what's going on with me that's just even, you know, it's hard to even be present and enjoy because I'm just thinking about, I'm stressed and, you know, it's a different, it's the same, it's the same moment, it's the same situation. But um, when we're present and connected, uh, these ordinary moments, we can, we can sense into the, the miracle of these ordinary moments. And it, so in Zen, sometimes they talk about ordinary mind is the way. Your ordinary mind, your mind from moment to moment, when, when we're connected, when we're there, when we're not grasping and not resisting, our minds, just as they are, is Buddha. You know, it's not like we have to kind of somehow do some mental gymnastics and for years and only then we'll be able to, you know, it's no, it's like this mind as it is when we're able to see it that way um, has this perfection to it. So the one practice is just to remember this for short moments throughout the day. And so maybe it's a little unrealistic to say we're always going to be, you know, savoring the perfection or the completeness of, of just this all day long. But when we remember, we can kind of connect and it's almost like just a resting here and just being with the beauty of just this, you know, and just, just for a moment to touch into that. And so there's a Tibetan teaching that to talk about short moments many times. You know, instead of thinking, oh, I have to be mindful all day long and I can't do that. And, but just a short moment of, conne- a moment of connection, a moment of to really meet someone when we meet them. And, you know, hey, how are you? Yeah, you know, and this, this kind of, this meeting can be a beautiful thing. And, and so to savor those, so those moments of connection with ourselves, with others. Um, that's one of the, the, the ways I practice that I find it's so fulfilling. You know, it's a difference between, okay, yeah, here's the money and here's the thing, you know, and that, but to really connect and oh, thank you. And um, yeah, so thank you very much.
one of the, maybe this is a good place to close, but with this idea of firewood and ash and like each, each moment, everything exists in its own moment. One of the, one of the ways that I understand that or that feels relevant for me is that it helps me not worry about the future so much because the me who's going to be dealing with that in the future is it is it different than the me who's right here you know the, the me who's you know in 10 20 30 years that 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 will be its own moment that will that has its own reality that will be its own complete expression this is right here is a complete expression right here is the the koan the the you know, the immediacy of this is what I need to deal with and to trust that in that moment, whether it's a moment that may be beautiful in some way or difficult in some way, maybe it's the moment of our, of our death, that, that will be its own expression and that will be its own uh, version of what we call me. Um, so it's a little bit of a different way of thinking about the self that the me who's here in one sense is not related to the me who was there a moment ago, a year ago, 30 years ago. I mean, I, I was recently looking at some old photos of you know, me with a friend of 20 years ago in college and it looked like different, you know, so who are these? who are these little kids who are there? You know, it's like a different person. And there's, there's some connection, but what is that connection? And, and so it, and the other thing that it helps me to uh, understand is that my responsibility is to take care of this moment and to take care of this. And in the, in the understanding of impermanence and cause and effect and conditionality, what happened in the past through causes and conditions have determined how this moment is right now. You know, because in the past people wanted to have a center and found this old church and this, that, and that, that, that makes it possible for us to be here right now. And then what happens now will help determine the future. You know, we're, right now, we're setting into place the causes and conditions that will determine the future. So if we, if we want to take care of the future, if, we want, if we're concerned about the future, take care of right now. Just keep taking care of right now. Because right here, right now, is the only place that we can have an effect on the so-called future, um, which will be experienced as now. You know, there's no such thing as the future. It's just going to be at some point when we're 150 years old, it'll be now. It'll be now. It'll be now. That will be experienced as now. So. I have a question about that. <laughs> I was reading uh, a text that uh, uh, Dalai Lama uh, 
was it being interviewed, and it's a history of Tibet. So he was talking about the history of Tibet. He was talking about the early Dalai Lamas. And he made a statement, an on-the-record statement, that in his view, the future is affecting the past. So the early Dalai Lamas did what they do because, did because the future was affecting their plans. So you said that uh, the future doesn't really exist, and I understand that teaching in Buddhism, they f- focus on the moment, but I'm interested in what you have to uh, say about the simultaneity of the future and the present and the past that seems to be implied very explicitly in what the Dalai Lama said. Wow. No, it's, a great, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. And I think what yes. you're... And we have to, <laughs> briefly, what I would say is that the, in the Buddhist tradition, there are a few different understandings of time and... Or maybe when I say not time, but causality and conditionality. And not to... you know Because I'm not an expert in this, but in... I think what Dogen is saying in this is a little bit closer to what the Dalai Lama is saying, actually. That in, in the immediacy, in the reality of the present moment, it's, in a way, it's outside of time. And there's conditionality that things affect other things. But it's not this one-way arrow of causality where because of this, then this. You know, because of the clouds than the rain. And that's our kind of understanding. You know, it's like you can't have the rain without the clouds. And we don't say that the rain created the clouds, although it's a little bit of a chicken and egg, right? Because you need, I mean, the clouds only come from the moisture that's evaporated from the rain that comes down. So is it that what's first, the cloud or the rain? Is it, you know, you, it's, the, it's this sort of interconnectedness. And so early Buddhism has this idea of causality where because of this, then that. And then in the Mahayana, and I think Tibetan Buddhism and Zen, there's this idea that in the, in the immediacy of just this, um, right there includes past and future and is ind- independent of past and future. So everything is affecting everything else and interconnected with everything else. So sometimes it's this image of like a web. And I think I can't say which one is right, which one is true. I would say whatever it re- makes sense to you and inspires you. Um, but it's, it's just playing with this idea of time, that time is actually something maybe that's bound up with... Um, a sense of self. And, and if there isn't a self who time is happening to and who's changing over time, then then the idea of time kind of becomes a question. And we kind of have, we have this experience of, you know, what did Einstein say? If you, if you have a really pleasant experience, it goes by like that. If something is, feels unpleasant and interminable, 
maybe like this talk. <laughs> it just goes on forever. And so, you know, we know that. We, we know that our sense of time is very subjective. And um, what can we extrapolate about reality and the nature of the universe? And that's, we're going to have to wait for next week for that time. <laughs> you know, but, but, it, but it's a great question. And to kind of, to hold that. And for me, there's something freeing in just feeling like, through our practice, we can touch into something that's deeper and that's more real and that's more full than just the calendar and the sense of time. Like, oh yeah, I just have this, this many minutes and seconds left to my life. That if we, like I've, I've talked about this before, but friends who have had um, very serious medical diagnoses and, and really feeling life is, you know, life is limited and getting that message loud and clear, there can be a way of experiencing one's life where it feels complete. And it's like, okay, even though there's only a few months left, each moment has its own depth. Each moment has its own unlimited quality. And what a gift to be able to touch into that too. So it's like we hold both. Yes, time is something that's, that's, that's going in one direction, but also each moment has its own completeness and unlimited quality. And then it's like, well, a month or a year or a hundred years. You know, it's, it's really about how we are in that moment and how we're with it. Um, so for me, that's, there's, there's something freeing about that. So, thank you very much.